Praise the Lord, Mosaic, Waco, Pastor Slim, love y'all. Man, I am so excited that I get to share in the gospel with you. Um, I'm talking about the way of joy in this season of division and death and race and, and reconciliation, political unrest. Man, I don't want us to forget that Jesus went the way of joy and we follow him. So we go the way of joy, even in troubled times. So be encouraged. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bishop Slim, coolest name of a pastor on earth. Love y'all. Praying this message blesses you. Let me read for your hearing as I um, seek to preach today from the book of Philippians. I'll be reading from Philippians chapter four, verse four through eight from the CSB translation. Let me make it bigger because I can't see. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. In this challenging season of pandemic, of contagious virus, of infections and death and trying to make the best of it, in this regular life of challenges like racism and politics and family dynamics and health and from gun control to political party, to trying to, as a Christian, trying to pray and, and pray for people who I disagree with and love them well and dealing with the turmoils of life and cancel culture. And this life with sickness and death and challenges, financial, college, home ownership, as we look upon a great recession coming from this pandemic, as we look upon divided decisions from our government and, and family and friends in the church arguing about when we should regather, there is so many things that are robbers of joy. They just rob our joy. And it's so hard to maintain a, a posture, a joyous posture. So how do we walk in the way of Jesus? And I think the way of Jesus is the way of joy. How would one do that in this turbulent world, in this reality? I haven't mentioned fully yet the dynamics of my own sin, my own depression, my own anxiety, my own sinful struggles, my own growing as a father issues, my own growing as a husband issues, my own stuff, my own, my own insecurities, my own challenges, my own Doug Logan centered life over and against gospel centered Jesus life. We've got that to deal with. How does one 
go the way of joy, which is the way of Jesus, because it was the joy set before him. He went to the cross. And so our way is the way of joy. I think the apostle Paul is bringing that out here in Philippians chapter four. How does one maintain a joyful heart? Paul is seemingly indicating here that the believer in Christ is to have a posture of praise. That is berserko. I just said all that stuff. And even in the midst of that, I'm to have a posture of praise. Not jumping around and singing songs louder. I know we charismatic, but more like a joyful disposition in all circumstances as the foundation for the believer's disposition is based on and flows from the finished work of Christ on the cross. The amazing grace of the eternal God to send his son to die in my place and the reality that indeed he has the whole world in his hands. So when I think of Jesus on the cross, he has the whole world in his hands, the old song would sing. So when problems and predicaments, he's got the whole world in his hands. How do I know? Because not only does he have the whole world in his hands, he tells us that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He has authority. And in that authority, he gives believers deep joy. So, so I, I just want to talk very simply. Let's talk about praise, prayer, and the promises of God. Prayer, praise, and the promises of God. I'm going to be short and sweet today. I'm never that, but I will be today. Praise. Look what he says in, in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. See, this is like Paul saying, let me say it. Rejoice. Hold up. For those in the back that didn't hear me, let me say it one more again. Y'all rejoice. It's it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of way. And this for those who didn't hear me in the back, for those with the bad ear, let me say it again. Rejoice. This is an overemphasis of the word rejoice that he's writing to the church in Philippi who had his own challenges and he's still telling them to rejoice, not remove themselves from the challenges, but rejoice even through them. How great is our God? And on the cross, he didn't remove himself from the death, the dying, the murder, the slander of the cross, but he rejoiced to die in our place. And we have to follow him in example. See, this is a holy joy, holy joy. And to have this holy joy, one writer said, the holy joy is the chief Christian duty. What a great statement. Yeah, what does that mean? We've been saved. My uncle used to say the happiest person this side of heaven is a born again believer saved by Jesus, period. So who is the happiest person on earth? No matter the circumstances, it's those who have been saved by Jesus because their joy is locked eternally in the bloody cross. Our joy is locked eternally on the empty tomb. Our joy is locked eternally in Christ coming back to pick us up. Why? How? I mean, so how can I rejoice in the Lord, in his, in, in his presence, in him and in his power? I can rejoice in his power and his perfections. I can rejoice in his peace and his promises. So I give him praise. Why? I tell you why, because my joy is locked in the historic, unchangeable reality that Jesus has died and he has secured 
those who trust in him through repentance and faith, that he secured their way to God, secured eternal relationship, draw, has taken us away from the kingdom of darkness in which we dwelled and lived apart from him, and now has moved us into the kingdom of his own beautiful light, that we might dwell with him eternally, and those circumstances of the joy that the object of our joy is Jesus finished work and it's finished and it cannot be undone. So our joy is stable. Our joy is unmovable. So God give us sight to see it. And then we can do what Paul is saying here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. One translation says what he's saying is give him praise. And he's calling them to redundant rejoicing. This can't be overstated. He's calling his people, those who trust him by faith, to redundant rejoicing. What does that mean? You ought to give the God, you ought to give our God praise all the time for no reason and for every reason. It's redundant rejoicing. It's not rejoice today and complain the rest of the week. Nah, it's redundant rejoicing despite circumstances and situations that seem not to bring joy, but those things don't determine my joy. Jesus determines my joy. So even on a bad day, even on a nasty day, even at the loss of a loved one, even at the anxiety of lock-in, even at the pressures of pandemic, I can find joy. Not like a weird person that doesn't care about what's going on around them, but recognizing what's around him, recognizing the problems all around him, but yet rejoicing in our savior and our king. And this is super relevant in our culture and our current global crisis of this coronavirus. How does one maintain a posture of praise in a pandemic? Jobs are gone, economy plummeting, people dying, people sick, tensions building, political disagreements, contradicting stories about the pandemic, cabin fever from lockdowns. How can one, how can we be gracious with others when we feel like we don't even have enough strength to do what we need to do for ourselves? And how can we possibly rejoice when things seem so bad? The key that unlocks the possibility of rejoicing in God and being gracious with others, even in hard times, is this precious truth. The Lord is near. Simply put, God is with us. The Lord is near. You struggling today? Let me remind you, the Lord is near. He's coming back to get us. The Lord is near. He has not abandoned us. He is presently with us. We got to practice the presence of God enjoying and resting in him no matter what the lord is near you struggling you struggling you can't you can't wait to get back together with people don't worry i can't i can't wait to get with god the lord is near so because the lord is near we should practice redundant rejoicing because he is the object his finished unchangeable undefeatable work is the source of my joy second idea so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice, verse five, and let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So the Lord is near now links these next two ideas. So why can I have redundant rejoicing? Because the Lord is near. And because the Lord is near, um, verse five takes me to verse six to my second point. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The Lord is near. I can rejoice. The Lord is near. I should be praying. 
prayer is my second idea. First one was praise, second is prayer. Prayer. This making a request known. This is the booby trap of the Christian to go to God. This is intimacy with God. This is talking to God. People talk about one of the key breakdowns in marriage is communication. Well, one of the key weaknesses to Christian faith is communicating with God through prayer. That's always the breakdown in relationship. But in a marriage, it's normally the husband and the wife that have both lack communication. Not so in Christian faith. If there's a breakdown in communication when it comes to God and his people, it's always his people who've got the bad raggedy Wi-Fi that never connects to God. God's Wi-Fi is always at a million bars. He always gets through. It's us that don't dial him up and the communication breaks down there. So Paul is saying to the church that met at Philippi, listen, the Lord is near. So make your request known through prayer. Speak to God about all that you're going through. Speak to God about all that you are and speak to God about all who he is. He is your savior. Nothing that is happening in this season has caught God by surprise. And therefore, Paul says in everything through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to him. Take your what is Paul saying? Take your struggles and your needs to the God who is near, remembering who he is and what he has done for you. For then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Tell God all about it. Go to your heavenly father, pray to him, petition him. He holds the answers and the comfort in his hands and his power and his grace. I don't have deep here. Paul is saying simply to the church of Philippi, tell God all about it. And as you tell God about it, it's this crazy shalom or in this passage, this irene, this irene is the word we get the word peace. This is this peace that comes and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. So what is he saying? In troubled times and persecution and in challenges, you should have redundant rejoicing. And that redundant rejoicing leads us to talking with God and making our requests known to him, not murmuring and complaining to the problem. You know how y'all do. Y'all know when y'all driving and y'all yelling through the window and you know the person driving next to you can't hear you. And you're telling them, you need to get off the phone and get out of my lane. You need to use a signal. You can't drive. I don't know about you, but that's what I do. And my wife often has to say to me, um, Doug, um, um, no, she won't say Doug when I'm acting ridiculous. She says, um, pastor, um, you think they can hear, they, you know, they can't hear you, right? And I'm like, yes, you hate her. Yes, but you're right. So it is with God. We make our request known. Paul is clear. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I don't want you to try to fight with the circumstances that leads to depression and anxiety and challenges. Make your request known to God. Make your request known to God. He hears and he cares. And as you make your request known to God, he brings about this peace of God and that peace, his understanding of the circumstances which have no answer. This is only a diagnosis, not a prescription. And so the peace of God surpasses the diagnosis and prescribes a prescription. 
His peace is the prescription for your understanding that is inf that is finite. His peace is infinite and it surpasses our finite thoughts. We can think good and through the matter, but we have to think like God does about the matter. And when we do, his peace surpasses all understanding. And where does that happen? That transaction happens that this peace that surpasses all understanding comes through prayer to God, not arguments with your enemies, not venting on Facebook about issues that make you upset, but making our petitions clear, vivid, regularly communicating with God and in booby trapped in that is intimacy with God. See, if you're always communicating and talking to him, well, he's always telling you about what you're lacking and he's always building into you. But if you never talk to him, you, it's hard for sanctification to work. You have to get into his word, get into prayer. We got to fast. We got to look to him. We got to get sackcloth and ashes and get on our face before God. We got to cry out to him. There's a pandemic. People People are dying. There's the hood right there in Crenshaw. People are getting shot. There's a hood right there in Camden. People are being murdered. There's violence. There's racism. There's 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 all types of evil jumping off. There's all types of division and stuff. We've got to get on our face before the king. Sackcloth and ash if his need be. And, and petition and make our request known to God. So we're going to have redundant rejoicing. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And then we're going to make our request known to God through prayer. Lastly, as the peace of God surpasses all understanding, he says in verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. What is he saying? So I say this word here. So I went praise, rejoice in the Lord always pray, make your petition known to God. And now I want you to reflect on the promises of God. Reflect. He says, think on these things. Dwell that word. Think there. The word dwell there is think. It means to reflect. It's a deep thought process. Reflect on these things. Think on these things. <laughs> Easier word, meditate, sit still, not amusement, but muse. Amusement removes thinking. That's why TV is amusement. It removes thinking and the TV just amuses you. It entertains you. But musing causes you to reflect on an object, either yourself or something outside of yourself. And for the believer, we are to meditate on God and his perfections and particularly his promises. So you got to meditate. Why? Because through pandemic and cabin fever and anxiety and struggles and conflicting things on the news, two news stations saying two complete different things about the same pandemic. We have political fights, news fights, denominational fights about this pandemic. And we just want to live. We just want to wear our mask, wear our gloves and pray for a vaccination. But but I want to remind us that our hope is not in a vaccine. 
Our hope is in Christ. We want a vaccination that works to protect our families, our lives, and the world. However, if it doesn't come, I dwell on the promise that Christ has secured those who trust in him by faith in his finished work are secure with or without a vaccine. My vaccine, I've been vaccinated with the blood of Jesus at conversion. I've been vaccinated with his love and grace as he saves me, as he saved me. Therefore, I want the vaccine for this world. I want it for me. I want it for my family. But I'm not vaccine-centered. I'm still Christ-centered. And Christ has already given us promises that are sure. A vaccine is not necessarily one of them, but that's why I make my petition known. And we're praying, God, raise up a vaccine. But in the midst of that, I'm still saying, Jesus, come back. We want a vaccine, but I want you. So we pray and we reflect on the promises. Why? We got to stay sharp. We got to keep our minds clear. And you got to stay focused on Jesus. If you want to stay sharp, Stay on your savior. You want to stay sharp. You want to stay ready. Stay focused on the redeemer, Jesus. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 helps us with this. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams and bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever it does prospers. Paul urges you to dwell or think on. Yeah, this is a beautiful word. This is. The word here is where we get the word logarithm. This word dwell or think on. And this word here means we have to dwell on it like the intricacies and the curves and the contours of an algorithm that calculates and works all types of dynamics to just present something to you simply. That algorithm does all the work so you can rest in what it produces. So it is with God. We dwell on Christ. He does all the intricate, detailed, eternal work that behind the eternal curtain so that you and I can just celebrate him in good times and bad. He works it. So we have to dwell on it. We have to think on it. Contemplate on it. Reflect on it. Think deeply about how God handles his business for people like us who don't deserve his grace, but he gives it freely and we rejoice in it. We don't know how he works everything. We know a lot because we have his word, but how he does it, why he loves us, why he cares for us, why he puts up with us, why he tolerates us. Why would he love something as filthy as me? Why? I don't know, but he said he did and his promises are sure. So I'm gonna dwell on that and not why he loves me, but I'm gonna dwell on that he loves me and he's promised that he'd never leave nor forsake. He's promised that nothing could separate 
separate me from the love of God. He's promised to keep me through hard times. He's promised that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. He's promised that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. He's promised that he's prepared a home for me that that's not made with hands, but made by God. He's promised that he's coming back soon to pick me up from this low land of sorrows. He's promised that his joy would made, be made complete through his saving of his people. He's promised at the cross that he would defeat Satan and his wiles. He's promised that he was calling a people from all people to make a diverse people that would come to heaven. He's promised that one day we will be in glory. Will he wipe away every tear from his eyes? He's promised that we will sing and rejoice as one big people eternally connected to the eternal God in all his glory. He is the treasure of the of the ages and he's promised. So I'm going to dwell on his promises. I'm not going to dwell on my sin. I'm not going to dwell on the issues that I can't understand. I understand this, that apart from Jesus saving me, I would not be saved apart from him going to the cross to pay for the sin I committed that separated me from an eternal God. And that sin had to be dealt with. And God would have surely killed me, which I would have deserved. But he killed Jesus in my place, the perfect sacrifice. And through that, now I have life and life eternal because I've repented. I've turned from my way and turned to his and I walk by faith struggling with imperfections jacked up messed up struggle some days to get out of bed but yet I can dwell and have redundant rejoicing because I don't dwell on my shortcomings but I dwell on his promises dwell and if you desire to remain in God's peace you got to continue to dwell on all that is honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. As our fears grow, when we fix our eyes on the world, we will grow increasingly discouraged. The more we look at this unsteady, unsteady world, the more unsteady we become ourselves. It is wiser, safer, and better for us to fix our eyes on Jesus and dwell on his glory, his justice, his purity, his beauty, and his praiseworthiness. For if we just spend half the time thinking about Jesus, that we spend worrying about the world, or scrolling social media, then our hearts and our minds would be filled with joy and peace that comes from God, instead of anger and anxiety that are so common to mankind. So how do we endure through all things? It's a daily diet of the gospel, y'all. It's our focus on Christ and his promises and his peace. He gives through his love and his forgiveness, knowing that he is in control, no matter the difficulty or the despair, his authentic peace he gives over my anxious panic all day, every day. His infinite peace surpasses, it dunks on, it abounds over my finite, it abounds over my finite understanding. And that gives all believers a posture of joy through all circumstances of life. I'll close with this, Stephen Fowle. Joy is the appropriate response when one rightly perceives the unfolding of God's drama of salvation, even in the midst of suffering and opposition. Stephen Fowl. We can have joy 
because Jesus' finished work is the object of it. We can have joy in all circumstances because our circumstances don't determine our joy. Jesus does. So what do I say to you, church? I say what Paul said. I'll tell you what Jesus teaches. The way of joy is the way of Jesus. So what do I say? Rejoice. And again, I say it. Rejoice. Grace and peace. Love you. Okay, guys, I hope you were encouraged. You need to know that um, I love Pastor Slim. I, I love what he's doing. I love him as a godly leader. I strongly encourage you to um, Mosaic family, man, just rock out with him. Love him, pray for him, support him, team, elders, everybody. You guys are doing a great work. He tells me all the time. So I just want to um, remind you that you've been given a good leader. And I remind you that Jesus has given us a good work. So walk in them. Um, and the old song from the 70s was, ooh, child, things are going to get easier. And so... Um, whether that's true, we know it's going to, it's true because Jesus is with us, but um, things are going to get easier. He's using you to bring a beautiful and brighter day. Grace and peace.